Um, I believe the solution, and I'm and I'm actually feel very strongly about this, is that we need to have Medicare for all. That's just the bottom line. Welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On today's episode, we're going to talk about health care politics, one of the policy proposals that is most revealing of the leftward shift in the Democratic Party is on health care. Obama once ran for president on a promise that if you like your health plan, you can keep it. Uh, two years ago, Clinton ran promising to improve the flaws of Obamacare. Now, most prominent Democratic candidates for president are running on a Medicare for all plan, promising to put all Americans on government health plan automatically. And Dad, you just wrote an article uh, talking about how this shift is actually an admission that Obamacare hasn't worked, which wasn't surprising to me. Uh, but I was surprised that in part of the column you indicated that uh, Medicare for all plan should be given a public hearing. And here's uh, just going to read a section where you mentioned that. You say, of course, Medicare for seniors is running out of money for hospitalization coverage, and Democrats are coy about how to pay for Medicare for all. The only possible source of enough money would be European-style value-added tax to pay for the European-style health care system. That said, you say that a national debate about making health care a public good provided directly or indirectly by government is worth having. Republicans have failed to develop a market-oriented alternative with a sturdy enough safety net for those seriously or chronically sick. So most Republicans would probably be screaming socialism at this at this plan. There are uh, and uh, are quick to attack it outright. Uh, why do you think that this idea deserves a fair shake? I mean, Republicans aren't proposing anything else, but why why should this? Uh, why is this debate worth having, in your opinion? I believe that there is a public expectation uh, that health care will be available to those who need it, um, irrespective of income, and uh, without it threatening them with bankruptcy. Um, we have not achieved that in this country. Uh, Obamacare um, did make... Uh, a limited provider network available to those who are seriously or chronically sick um, with large subsidies based upon income. But in the process, it destroyed or ruined the private insurance market, individual insurance market, for everybody else in the way that it attempted to do it. Republicans um, believe in generally a market approach uh, where people decide what health insurance they want and uh, they pay for it the way you do with any other form of insurance. Um, but they have not developed, as I said in the column, a sturdy enough um, safety net uh, for those who will not be well served by that market. I believe you can do that. I, my proposal is, is that you allow uh, anyone whose health care expenses exceed a certain percentage of their income uh, to buy into the Medicaid system. We have a safety net program that exists in all 50 states. Republicans instead try things like shared risk pools and, and assigned risk pools. 
um, things that just aren't, don't provide sufficient assurance. Now, there's no question that <laughs> having government, r right now, government provides about half of all um, health insurance um, through Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, federal employees. Uh, healthcare is approaching 20% of the U.S. economy, so 10% is still in the private market. Government taking over, in essence, 100% of the market and treating health care for everybody as a public good rather than just those that fall in certain categories uh, would be a giant expansion of government. It would be um, hugely expensive. Um, but it would not mean that we have gone into socialism full bore. Um, other most industrial countries uh, treat health care as a public good uh, and have otherwise market economies. Um, so I don't think one can say that this is a slippery slope or um, is the death of American capitalism. Uh, it's a legitimate public policy debate. Um, I think Democrats should lose it. I think that it's premature politically. Uh, but if Republicans aren't going to provide a, an alternative, which meets the public expectation, uh, that health care will be available to all, irrespective of income, and without the threat of going bankrupt for getting it, um, then they're sort of forfeiting the debate. And I think we're, we're headed in the direction of Medicare for all, or a government treating health care as a public good, um, ultimately achieving a national consensus. I don't think we're there now, but I yeah. think we're headed in that direction. And you kind of pick, picked up on that on some of the campaigns in, in 2018, too. Um, it wasn't, even the Republicans weren't running so strongly as we got to repeal, repeal Obamacare altogether. All and here in Arizona, um, Martha McSally was kind of pinned down on, did, did you vote to uh, get rid of pre-existing conditions and kind of had to be defensive on that. Um, and a lot of Republicans, I think, had to be defensive on that um, in the last election. Let's take a step backwards a little bit. You said that Obamacare caused more of a collapse in the private market. Is that to say that the private market for insurance was very healthy before that? Um, and if it was... Uh, was the purpose of Obamacare just to provide for those lower-income people? Was or was there an attempt there to um, move in the direction of a, a publicly provided healthcare system? Prior to Obamacare, the uh, private individual health insurance market worked well except for those who were seriously or chronically ill. Um, rather than figure out how to get health care to that category... Which you're saying Republicans didn't... Well, rather, going to, to what yeah. Obama did. Um, so rather than identify the problem and, and narrowly focus on expanding access to care um, and reducing the cost of care for those who are chronically and seriously sick, um, which you could do by expanding access to Medicaid to that population. Obama decided to completely upend uh, the 
uh, entire health insurance market um, to uh, hide the subsidy that would be involved uh, in increasing access to health care to that population, which is very expensive, in premiums rather than having government pay for it directly. Uh, so um, he mandated that health insurance, uh, private, the individual market policies cover a broad range of um, services and benefits, even though a lot of them most people don't need, wouldn't benefit from. Uh, he said that you couldn't medically underwrite. You couldn't charge people with a higher uh, health care risk more than people with a lower health care risk. Uh, and he limited um, what uh, the companies could make uh, in terms of profits. So by making those changes, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a way to provide that care for everyone without selling it as massive amounts of spending to right. provide for that lower... Right, so, so an awful lot of the subsidy is buried in premiums. And what that does for everybody else is to drive those premiums up, and that's, and, what, and, and that's what made private individual health insurance now a lousy deal for anyone who's not seriously or chronically sick or heavily subsidized. That you can't buy a basic-basic uh, basic catastrophic-only deal for a... For a only he, for, the, for a deal. Yeah, that was limited to people under 30, and, and that's the type of health insurance most people should have. Um, so, and then what, what, Republicans just did not care about those uh, other people that were, that were not getting? Why, why wasn't that plan re, proposed? Re, Republicans were not willing to take on the political risk of saying, yes, we should have a private health insurance market in which premiums are based upon your health risk. Um, so they never directly addressed the core problem in, in why Obamacare was ruining uh, the private health insurance market. And in terms of the target population that we should have been talking about, those who are seriously and chronically sick, uh, they just came up with these alternatives that uh, don't provide enough surety um, with, um, as I said, the high-risk pools or the assigned risk pools, uh, rather than saying, okay, if you fall in that category, if you have health care problems that are beyond your ability to pay for, the government's going to take care of you. Um, and we're going to take care of you, my preference would be, by allowing you to buy into the Medicaid program. And now... I don't even know what the Republicans' plan is going to be. I think it's one of the problems for Republicans having Trump to be president is that, um, you know, if they weren't pushing a more specific or practical plan before, they're definitely not going to push one now. And I think Trump is unable to be disciplined in messaging about that, even if they had a plan, uh, or wouldn't be able to grasp it or, or make those arguments for why a market-based system would be better that's going to persuade anyone. Now, when it came time to repeal and replace Obamacare, the Republicans flinched at a true market-based system. And I think that has created the opening uh, for Medicare for all. And I fear but suspect um, its ultimate adoption. You say that it, you don't think it would be a, a slippery slope into other things, 
but it seems like overall the popularity of socialism in general and applied to a lot of different areas is increasing as well. And it seems like on a whole range of issues, you're seeing a lot of, lot of, lot more proposals, uh, from, from the left that's, that's going in that direction. Why you think this would be, if it did, you know, if they did succeed in passing that, why, why do you think that would be a limited area and it, and that market principles overall would not be in jeopardy? To, to me, it's important to have terms have meanings. And uh, socialism refers to a system in which government owns the means of production uh, and controls economic activity. Medicare for all um, doesn't necessarily mean government doing that. Um, government doesn't own the doctors that provide Medicare services. The hospitals aren't uh, government facilities. They are in some countries. So there's ways that you can do it that, that preserve a private sphere. Also, there is an awful lot of proposals coming out of the left uh, for greater government control of uh, economic activity, uh, for um, higher taxes uh, on the wealthy, or even uh, Elizabeth Warren has proposed a wealth tax, something that France just repealed. Um, those are uh, very, very liberal in some cases, particularly in Warren's case, radical interventions. They are an attempt to make the U.S. political economy much more like Europe. And in Europe, the term socialism is frequently used to describe their systems by themselves. But they are not socialist systems. Uh, in, in all of those countries, um, economic activity is primarily done uh, by private businesses uh, responding to free consumer choice. So um, the U.S. economy outperforms uh, those social democratic economies uh, most times in most respects. I think it would be a step in the wrong direction. Uh, but uh, a lot of those countries have successful economies. Uh, they are primarily uh, capitalist economies, market-based economies. Uh, and I don't think that um, as we have the argument uh, that we should lose the true meaning of socialism by, by using it to describe uh, significant expansions of government involvement in the economy, um, but not a takeover or change its basic nature, uh, which is private capital, private markets, consumer-driven. So those, uh, the fundamentals, fundamentals, are not a threat, but the, the slippery slope might be towards a leftward lurch on oh, all I, those things. Yeah, yeah I, I think there will be described. a Democratic candidate for uh, president who will advocate a European-style social democracy um, for the United States. Do I don't think 
the country's ready for it. But do you think Republicans need to be more aware of or come up with plans to address income inequality more? And I'm not sure if you were tuned into this or not, but Tucker Carlson uh, famously gave a, a, a tirade that, you know, from the right that was also a questioning the fundamentals of, of capitalism and, and how it's been leaving a lot of the middle and lower class behind. And, and even though, um, you know, materially, everyone's better off, but there is a, a wider disparity that's, that's affecting, you know, families uh, and, and, and people able to, to live healthy I think psychologically healthy lives uh, and the lower middle class. Do Republicans need to address that more? Is that the way you respond to the the leftward uh, popularity that's that's increasing? I mean, is that why Trump got elected? Is that partly why Trump got elected as well? Is there there need to be more recognition or awareness of uh, well, the struggles of you know class struggles? Certainly, um, lower middle class. Uh, economic stress uh, was a factor in Trump's re-election. Uh, but uh, I don't, I, I think income inequality is largely a red herring and uh, it would be a disastrous road uh, for Republicans to travel down. Uh, I believe that our income statistics fail to capture uh, true improvements in material well-being and that the key is to increase economic opportunity uh, for um, those without a college education or without um, some professional training. I believe that the Trump economy is doing that. Uh, we, we have uh, very substantial um, wage increases disproportionately weighted at the lower end of the economic spectrum. And I think that, that we need to improve everybody's economic opportunities and not be so concerned about the space between. And if income inequality is the issue, Democrats win. So it's not grounds on which Republicans need to concentrate on growing the economy, growing economic opportunity in terms of redistributing uh, wealth um, the Democrats will win that argument every time. You say you you anticipate a Democratic style, so uh, European style Democrat winning the nomination. So that means you don't think there's a moderate candidate like like Biden that has uh, a path there. And then also like if if the American people aren't ready for European style social Democrat. And they don't like Trump. Where does that leave? Where does that leave the electorate out in uh, in twenty twenty? Is that maybe <laughs> maybe dining at Starbucks? <laughs> Schultz. Um, <laughs> the reason why I think that that the Democrats will nominate a European style social democrat is that that's except with one exception, all that's running. <laughs> so right, right that's, now, yeah. that's their only choice, Mike. And the people that Michael are, might Bo not be are acting like they are. I think Cory Booker maybe is not at heart, but he's gone that way, you know, in in action. Yeah, I mean, they, they are what they say they are at the time they ask for the vote. And, and right now, every one of them, except for Michael Bloomberg, is 
running as a European-style social democrat. Um, I do believe that that the country's not ready for that. I think uh, most of the country will um, be uh, anxious to get rid of the present incumbent. Um, so I do think there is an unusual opportunity for an independent in the middle uh, who uh, does what um, the Starbucks CEO, Schultz, says that um, he favors, which is economically conservative, socially liberal. You think Dem- Democrats are kind of freaking out about him running, kind of see him as an, an you know, another elite white man trying to, you know, but butt into the to the conversation, insert himself where you know he should just be listening to the people and and running as a Democrat if he wants to run. Sounds like they're kind of afraid that if he does run, he'll throw the race to Trump, though. Um, so you're that could be a possibility too, right? I mean, uh, or do you think it's he'll draw C- equally from certainly? From I, I I don't think it's known at present um, what a candidate like that would draw from and who a candidate like that would hurt most. And that's assuming that a candidate like that doesn't have a chance to actually be the victor. And, and that's a pretty safe bet. But in this, top, with, with, <laughs> in this topsy-turvy political world, if you've got a European-style Democrat uh, on one side and you got Trump on the other, there's a lot of room. <laughs> in the middle between those two. Quickly, just going back to Arizona for a little bit, how do you think, I mean, I imagine like uh, someone like a Ruben Gallego who, who might take on that persona running in the Democrat Party in the Senate. Do you think him, you think he would stand any chance against against McSally in any, in any circumstance? Um, I think... I don't think the country, and uh, if the country isn't ready for a European-style social democrat, Arizona certainly wouldn't be. Um, But um, it may be enough, and a lot of Democrats are betting on this, just to be the anti-Trump candidate in the anti-Trump party. Uh, And I certainly would not preclude... Uh, the possibility that given the choice uh, between European-style social democracy and four more years of Trump or people who support Trump, uh, that the electorate might not choose a European-style social democrat. Would you bet on a Republican challenger to Trump right now in the 2020? Bet on him having one or bet on one that would have a chance no, just debating. having one, just having one, like a Larry Hogan or anyone. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if there's not some token opposition, um, but I... Do so you think there will be at least one person to I'd be, to there, there, there always the is, um, but I, I don't think it will be anyone of consequence or anyone who represents a threat. But there's not always a, a primary challenger to a sitting president. There, there usually is at least some token... Um, primary uh, challenger. Um, it's, I mean, you, and, and sometimes non-token. I mean, you had Ted Kennedy who took on Jimmy Carter. You had um, Ronald Reagan who took on Gerald Ford. Uh, 
you had Pat Buchanan uh, take on George H.W. Bush. Um, but I, 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 I think that the party faithful are accepting of Trump, and an awful lot of them are highly comfortable uh, and highly supportive of him. So I just, at present, I mean, who, who knows what the Mueller report's going to uncover? Who knows what all the uh, Democratic investigations in the House is going to uncover? Um, uh, but at present, uh, I don't think that there is uh, space room opportunity uh, to challenge Trump within the Republican Party. Last question. Did you watch the most boring Super Bowl of all time? I did not. Um, I was over at your grandmother's house, um, and uh, she and your mother wanted to watch probably the most awful halftime show, (laughs) (laughs) Super Bowl halftime show I've ever watched. That's the only part of it that... That I watched, and the commentary was saying that all the even the even the commercials were boring. I saw I, <laughs> I saw uh, a good tweet. Someone said that uh, Super Bowl commercials will be funny again when we stop being offended by everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Political Notebook. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Thanks.